Hello, my friends, and welcome to Rainbow Parenting, the queer and gender affirming podcast for anyone with littles in their lives. I'm your host, Linz Amer. We have made it, my friends. We are here together at the very last episode of season one of Rainbow Parenting. So thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much for coming on this journey with me. I have had an absolute blast talking to all of these incredible people that we've been able to have on the podcast. And I've also absolutely loved getting to hear from all of you, everyone who's listening to this show and feeling all of the feelings about age-relevant sex ed and queering families and kids and sports and talking to kids about abortion and reproductive rights. This has been an absolute dream, both from, you know, hosting and being able to talk to just awesome people about things that I'm interested in and am passionate about. And being able to share that with all of you is just an incredible experience. So thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. I so, so appreciate you giving the time and the space and your podcast feed (laughs) over to us. It's been, it's been really wonderful. In today's episode, we're talking all about trans family Our guest, Amanda Jete Knox, is a non-binary trans person with a lot of trans people in their family. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share Amanda and Amanda's family's story with you all so that we can just learn a little bit about what a trans family might look like. Before we get there, we've got a quick little bit of business up top for you. We'll be taking a bit of a pause on Rainbow Parenting after this episode to recalibrate and figure out how we want to move forward with this project. Um, Spoiler alert, I definitely want to move forward with this project. And I've got a list of future guests that's already a mile long. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for us to get our stuff together. Make sure you check out Queer Kids Stuff over at QueerKidsStuff.com. We have a podcast for kids that I made called Activist You, where I interviewed kid and youth activists. That's awesome. And if you're looking for something else for your ears that you can share with your young ones, please check that out. We also have all of our Queer Kids Stuff videos from YouTube that will be there forevermore. You can also sign up for the Queer Kids Stuff newsletter. We're moving to a monthly format, so you'll be getting those monthly in your inbox. And we're moving, if you've been a part of our newsletter, we have a bunch of content that was going out weekly on our newsletter that we're now moving to the Patreon page. So all of our stuff is going to be living on the Queer Kids Stuff Patreon page. If you can, it's $5 a month or $50 a year. You can support us. We have weekly content over there. If you can't support us monetarily, that is totally fine. I get it. If you could please share your favorite episode of the podcast or something else from our work, I would so, so appreciate it with a friend, with a couple of friends on your social media. Really anything helps. So keep an eye on this feed for any future announcements. But in the meantime, check out QueerKidsStuff.com, subscribe to our newsletter, support us over on our Patreon, and we've got plenty more coming from our spaces out to you. All right, that's enough of the business up top. 
So before we get into my conversation with Amanda, here's what you need to know. All right, so I don't want to spoil my conversation with Amanda too much, but what I do want to talk about is the fact that just a couple of years ago, Amanda's family might not have looked trans. Amanda's family, if you encountered their family just walking down the street, out in public, doing family stuff, probably would have looked like your quote-unquote typical heterosexual cisgender nuclear family. And what's changed between now and then is that Amanda and a few other folks in Amanda's family have grappled with their gender and come out and transitioned in different ways. And that doesn't mean that a few years ago, Amanda's family was not a trans family. Amanda's family has always been a trans family. They just hadn't been through the transformative process that they've experienced in the years since. If you're a trans listener to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You understand what it's like to think about and question and excavate your gender when that's not necessarily something that folks who deem themselves and identify as cisgender might not do or might not have experienced at any point in their life. So this is a little bit of a of an exercise, something I'm tasking you with, maybe a little bit of homework for folks who are listening to this podcast who consider themselves cisgender. Maybe you've already done this for yourself. Maybe you have already excavated and thought through and come to an understanding about your gender. And that's great. But I'll say that like the vast majority of cisgender people don't really do that because we're all living in a cisgender world where it's just assumed that all of our genders are cis and align with the gender we were assigned at birth. So what I want you to do is think about your gender. What makes you feel like your cisgender? What makes you feel like the gender you were assigned at birth? And your answer cannot be because that's what I was told I am. How does your gender make you feel? In what ways do you perform your gender out in the world? What about that feels good? And maybe what about that feels bad and why? And maybe you'll land on some concrete reasonings. And I think that's great. But maybe you'll also come up against some spots that are a little sticky for you. And you might not have a clean answer for it. And that's okay too. Every single person trans and cis alike goes on a gender journey, or at least I think they should. So I'm going to challenge you to think about your gender, maybe a little more deeply than you've been pushed to in your life. All right, that's enough of me talking. Let's get to my conversation with Amanda. Everyone, I am so excited to have Amanda Jete Knox here with me today. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Linz. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Before we get started, can you tell me your pronouns and how you identify? 
Absolutely. So I identify as non-binary. My pronouns are they, them, or she, her. You can pick and choose. Amazing. I love it. And I like to come to this work as whole humans outside of our work and what we're doing as like queer trans professionals. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, actually. I got up really, really early and uh, got a lot of stuff out of the way. So I had lots of time and energy to do this. I was really looking forward to it. So yeah, Mm. it's been a good day so far. How about you? Uh, yeah, pretty run of the mill. I got um paid out for a grant today. So I was like finally able to like pay people, which is always very exciting because I am very I freelance and do a lot of contract work. So I'm mostly at the behest of other people putting money into my bank account. And uh, it's very stressful. And today was a good money day in my freelance life. And those are uh, rare. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that was uh, a very nice thing to wake up to in my bank account. So um, on a good foot today, as much as we dislike money, um, it is a reality of our world and it can dictate how we feel sometimes. So good money day today good feels because of that. And also very excited to be here with you because we're going to talk about trans families and like everything that that entails and your experience in that, which I'm really excited to share with our listeners, because I think you have a very unique trans family experience. And I would love to get into that. But first, let's talk about you. What do you do? Well, who are you as a person? What do you, you're a writer, you have books. What are, what do you do? Tell us what you do. It's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I too am a freelancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do a whole bunch of things. I am an author. I wrote a book called Love Lives Here, the story of thriving in a transgender family that came out in 2019. We're going to talk about that a little bit because that is really my family's story. Uh, I am writing a second book that will be out in 2023. That is on complex PTSD. I also am a speaker and a facilitator, workshop facilitator. So I, you know, I'm from Canada. I do a lot of my work in Canada. And internationally, I work as an LGBTQ and mental health advocate. So there's a lot of human rights advocacy. My, my heart is with trans kids. So that's always who I prioritize. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I do a lot of sort of, I wear a lot of different hats, if you will. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I know the deal there. Um, so I, I love kind of talking about trans family with you. And I want to get into your story with that. But I also think that it's so important to talk about your work around mental health, because I think and I'm sure you would agree with me that those two things are incredibly intertwined, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think we see more mental health crises, um, more struggle within the queer community for uh, the simple reason that a lot of us are just simply not allowed to exist without struggle. Um, you know, we have to fight harder for a lot of the things that many other people take for granted. And mental health has always been, you know, mental illness, I should say, has always been a part of my life. I have a generalized anxiety disorder, and that has played out in a variety of different ways. I've also struggled with OCD and health anxiety, which people may also know as um, hypochondria and uh, bouts of depression. 
And in 2020, I was diagnosed with complex trauma. So complex PTSD. And that is something I've had since childhood, but went underdiagnosed. And, and it's funny because it's one of those things that um, a lot of people are coming to realize now that this is this is sort of the, the underlying factor for a lot of their own struggles. And like, why am I not getting better? Why am I doing all the things people tell me? And it, it doesn't change anything. And I think, especially with queer people, if we have been closeted for a long time, you know, if we have had to deal with a lot of discrimination, so that recurring trauma over and over and over, it can really affect you. So yeah, all of those things are really linked in my life. And I'm seeing that they're really linked in a lot of other people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mental illness and mental health is huge for me and my wife and like our community that we're, we're in. I have only recently figured out my like neurodivergent diagnoses and like I'm still kind of navigating that and like that comes with a lot of mental illness comorbidities that I'm trying to figure out and like that's just such a, the beginning of a huge, huge journey that I know I'm really just starting on and my wife has mental illness and so it's it's a big part of queer life and also just like the communities that we're a part of and I think that it just runs in tandem with like your families and like family building and like how your family functions in the world and in queer and trans communities. So I think that there are conversations that are really important to have. And like my wife and I are like just starting to think about kids and like figure out what that journey is going to look like. And I'm also kind of like, okay, what of my healing do I want to do before I have kids? And like, what of that do I have absolutely no control over? And like, how do we want to be in our relationship with our mental illnesses and with bringing a child into that our space? And it's it's all really complicated and important to think about too. Yeah, I think sometimes we see mental illness as completely separate, right? Like oh, that's, you know, we, we don't see it as it is a part of everyday life for a lot of us, mm. you know, definitely with the help of therapy and medication and a lot of the other things that I do self-care wise for myself, I'm not living with anything acute these days, but mental illness and the underlying trauma that that's always going to be a part of my life. And it does affect things like parenting. Mm -hmm. uh, it does affect friendships. It does affect relationships. It affects our jobs. It affects how we interact in the community, um, whether we interact in the community community. Mm. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, the, the LGBTQ plus community, but I'm also talking about just our communities and our society at large. It, it is something that I've had to make peace with that. Mm. This is who it's a part of who I am and, uh, embrace, you know, the entirety of who I am and do my best to heal from what I can heal from and do my best to live with what I may not ever be able to fully heal from. Mm. Yeah, that was very well said. All right, let's talk about with with that context in mind around mental health and mental illness as we approach topics uh, around trans family. I want to know what trans family means to you in your life. If I was to define trans family, I would say it is a family that has at least one trans person in it. Mm. And the family Otherwise, is a pretty typical family, whatever that looks like to them, right? And mm -hmm. families can come in all different shapes and sizes. You know, they can look all different ways. But I think, you know, uh, in in our particular case, uh, it means that there are a number of us in our family who are trans. So it does look, uh, you know, it, it sort of takes a center stage in mm -hmm. in my personal life. Yeah. So tell us a, the story of your trans family, whatever your um, feel comfortable sharing, because I think it would be really insightful to 
to talk about and understand the different ways in which your family is trans and how you've kind of like all come toward your transness together, which I think is really beautiful. And also like from from what my knowledge of your family is all of you having very different experiences with your individual transnesses. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I think that that's just like a really beautiful trans family mosaic. And I want to give folks a little bit of a glimpse into that. Sure. I usually start off by saying, if you were to ask me to describe my family in early 2014, mm. I would have told you very easily and without thought, we are a mom and a dad and three boys because mm. that's what we look like to the outside world. And more or less, that's sort of how I saw us back mm -hmm. then. Our middle child at the time was 11 and for a long time had been struggling with depression, anxiety, isolation, um, not wanting to go to school, having a hard time making friends. And over the years had just slowly withdrawn into uh, their bedroom, into their their mind, into um, video games, just sort of like mm -hmm. away from everybody to the point where in late 2013, when it was their 11th birthday, my family came over, you know, there were gifts, there was cake and they made it downstairs stairs long enough to open presents, thank everyone and bring their cake upstairs. And I remember they turned to me and said, I'm sorry, mom, this is all I can do. Mm. And it just broke my heart because we had been trying for a really long time to figure out what was going on. We talked to experts. We had tried to make changes at school. We had um, sought different types of therapy, you know, just all everything that we could think of. I racked my brains because, I mean, on either side of this wonderful human, we had two boys who were happy and thriving and, and doing great. So I knew the problem was something that we probably couldn't fix on our own. So I was looking for that. And mm. we had this moment. Um, so in Canada, we have something called pink shirt day. And, uh, and I, sh I should mention we live in Ottawa, Canada. So we're, we're in the capital in Ontario. And I took the kids out very, very last minute for pink shirts because that's how my mind works. I have ADHD. So everything <laughs> is like super last minute for uh -huh. me. Like, <laughs> like, oh yeah. Remember that thing I'm going about for a month? That's <laughs> yeah. I know that life. <laughs> yeah. That's me all the time. Dropping balls. Exactly. Um, so I, I ran them over to the store. What are like the two stores that was still open at that time of night um, where they had clothes. And our little one at the time, Jackson, he was uh, seven. He was so mad because he couldn't find any pink in like the boys department. Mm -hmm. And I'm using air quotes here. He's like, I don't understand. It's just a color. It doesn't make sense. I love pink. It's my favorite color. And uh, we've always sort of called him our little David Bowie because he's very into like, <laughs> he'll paint his nails. He likes makeup, but he's very, he's very cis and, and straight, but that's just who he is. It's his expression, which mm -hmm. is pretty cool. So, you know, I said, you know what, buddy, that's right. Like, absolutely. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it is just a color and who decided that pink was for girls anyway, and then blue mm -hmm. was for boys. So, you know, I said, you should, you can wear whatever you want and be whoever you are. And no matter what, we love you. Like that's sort of the conversation that I had. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I felt like I was being a really good parent to Jackson. Like I, I thought, okay, good. Mm -hmm. I said what Jackson needed to hear. And I didn't know that our middle child was who really needed to hear that 
that mm. night. So we got our pink shirts. We came home. I'm working on some schoolwork at the time. I'd gone back to high school, actually. I graduated at 38, sort of a Incredible. little story in itself there. I know, right? I just like, I was like, what haven't I done? Oh yeah, high school. I'm going to finish that. <laughs> um, so I'm working on like a Shakespeare essay or something. Yeah. And um, my partner comes in and hands me the phone and says like, you need to look at this email right now. And it was literally from a very frightened 11-year-old across the hall from us, just feet away, you know, who had written to us to say, um, I'm not a boy basically. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a beautiful letter. It was, um, it mm -hmm. was powerful and it was poignant and it was direct and it asked for help and support at the time, because again, we're talking about 2014 when, um, even trans identities were fairly binary and sort of discussions, yeah. you know, I think still are for the most part, they really are. <laughs> I have my own rant about that too, yeah, for sure. but you know, they told us that they were a girl because they knew that they weren't a boy. Um, mm. and so that made the most sense. You know, my partner said like, what, what do you want to do about this? And I mean, my head was just swimming, like just swimming. Yeah. And I remember just saying, we just need to go in there and tell this kid that we love them. Like, mm. I think that's the number one thing, because if I, I was trying to think of like what I would need my, from my parents, if yeah. I had said those words to my parents. So we did, we went in and we said, we love you no matter what. We don't care if you're a boy or a girl. And we hugged them and they were crying. And then I left the room and I cried. And that was sort of the beginning of the evolution of our family. Yes, we affirmed our child. Yes, we did everything we could. Our child did their own version of medical transition, which I won't go into detail about because yeah. that's theirs, but that's the mm -hmm. thing that they did. So that's sort of what that looks like. Mm. Um, and our kid is now 19 and happy oh. and a college grad and just a really cool person. Incredible. Um, and now identifies as non-binary. So uses they, them pronouns. Mm, amazing. So um, <laughs> 18 months after that, <laughs> mm -hmm. we had been pretty public about our child's transition because we had, we were already public. I already had a blog. I was already writing. Mm -hmm. I was going to shut it all down. And it was actually our kid who said, please don't, because it took mm -hmm. me a long time to come out to you. I couldn't find a lot of stories of happy families. I just found a lot of sad stories yeah. and I think we need some happy stories. So we talked about it for a while and then we decided that we would, you know, just be public about the fact that we have a trans child. There's no shame in that anyway. Um, but we did have a lot of talk about privacy and yeah. And I wanted to point that out that you had that conversation, you had that consent and from your child to be posting about you and your family and your relationship with them and how important that child's voice in that decision is. And I really want to commend you for that. It's so so important. I just want to point that out specifically. Well, I think it is just important in general. I mean, kids have agency, right? Kids mm -hmm. have, I mean, you, you can't, privacy is a genie you can't put back in the bottle, as I mm -hmm. like to say, because once you tell people something, you can't take it back. You cannot claw it back. It's out there forever. Yeah. And so we had multiple conversations and you know, now you're not going to find pictures of my kids online when I post, when I share. And that is because at this point, 
They don't want that attention. Mm -hmm. They're not upset about the attention that we have before, but they're like, they're have, they have their own lives now. And so that is really important and valid. And, you know, it's really important. We don't exploit our kids. That is, you know, I get accused of that all the time, but that was from people who don't know us and don't know the fact that we have these conversations all Mm -hmm. the time in our family. So yeah, 18 months after that. So I have been with my spouse since 1993. Incredible. Hashtag goals. Right. <laughs> May 1st, 1993. I had never, and I can now just continue to say never, I had never had an attraction towards a man in my life or a guy in my life ever. Mm-hmm. And I walk into this party and this gorgeous person is there and we start talking and I'm like, okay, maybe my parents are going to get their wish. (laughs) (laughs) I finally met a guy that I'm crazy about, right? Maybe I'm not gay, right? I remember having this thought. Maybe you're even more gay than you thought, though. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened because it turns out she tells me in the car, you know, now 18 years into the marriage and Mm -hmm. three kids that she is not a man. And that, that makes so much sense. Um, she's, I always knew that she, she just, I mean, it had to be someone really special. Well, apparently it had to be a woman and (laughs) we are still married. Mm. Uh, Zoe is incredible. We had, it was a tough few months after she came out because we had a lot to figure out. Our marriage had sort of been limping along for a long time um, because, well, we had two pretty unhappy people within it who were keeping things from the other. Yeah. Uh, and we had, you know, a child who was in distress for a long time. That adds some, some pressure to an already difficult situation. Mm-hmm. But there was always love there, right? The, the love was always there. And and all I cared about when she came out, I, I didn't have to walk through the trans 101 type stuff and understanding that aspect or anything because mm-hmm. I already had done a lot of that work the year before. Yeah. But, you know, my worry was I knew a lot of the statistics for um trans and non-binary people in terms of mental health, uh, in terms of keeping your job, in terms of losing your housing. I mean, all of those things. And and I was just, I was really worried that we just weren't going to make it because there would just be too much stress on top of everything that we had already been through. Sure. Um, and I, on, on a very shallow level, I mean, just because I like women doesn't mean I'm attracted to all women. Um, right. Yeah. But she starts transitioning and wow, hi, she is a fox. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I just like, it's like I fell in love on this whole new level and we fell in love with each other mm. on this whole new level and our relationship has never been better. So we celebrated our 20th anniversary by renewing our vows. Oh, beautiful. It was really nice. It was really nice. She got to wear her dress and mm. we had, oh, it was such a beautiful day. And this year is actually uh, next month is our 20th. 25th wedding anniversary. Oh my goodness. That's huge. That's right. Absolutely huge. Congratulations. Sending best wishes to you and your wife. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited. We don't even know what we're doing yet, but we're going to do something cool. Just have a good time. And treat yourselves. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Um, and then there's like sort of one more element to this story, which is me. Yeah. 
I had, I was in sort of a severe mental health crisis in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I call it a breakdown. Not everybody would call it a breakdown, but that absolutely is what it felt like to me. I had uh, some very, very dark moments. Um, I had to go to the hospital mm-hmm. and I saw a psychiatrist and I got my diagnosis. And so that was, a, it was like one of the best things that ever happened to me there. Yeah. The thing about trauma is it has layers. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. As I'm peeling back the layers of trauma, I'm starting to figure out who I am. And I realized last year in 2021 that I am not cis, that I am non-binary. And that terrified me mm-hmm. because one, how did I not know until now? Um, I look back and it's like, yeah, I knew, but <laughs> I yeah. buried it. Mm-hmm. Too, I thought, wow, you know, we are a pretty public family that already has two trans people in it. And uh, what are people going to say uh, about our family now? Well, let me tell you, nothing good a lot of the time, but <laughs> I still get, I get a lot of hate, mm-hmm. um, but I get to be myself, right? Mm-hmm. I was actually nervous. First person I told was uh, our non-binary kid. We went out for a drive and I was like, who's going to understand this? they're going to understand this. And it was the cutest conversation because it was like, we're driving in the country and we're listening to music. They've got this playlist going and I I kind of work up the nerve. And I say, so I'm thinking of adding some pronouns to to my life. Mm. And they're like, oh yeah, which ones? And I said, they, them. They're like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, hmm, okay, nothing else. All right. So I said, so, because I think I might be, uh, I might also be non-binary and they kind of look over at me and they're like, hmm. yeah, I could see that. <laughs> what an incredible, like unfiltered <laughs> teenage response. I love that. Right. <laughs> and I was like, you can they're like, oh yeah, totally. That makes sense. And, and I was like, that's it. Like, yeah, mom, it, it's not a big deal. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. good for you. I'm really happy for you. Uh, do you want to check out this next song? And that was that. Yep. It was like the best conversation. I was like, okay, cool. Mm. And then I was really nervous telling Zoe, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I was. Um, She was amazing. And she has continued to be amazing. And Mm. she's, you know, she's like, I I love this version of you even so much more. You're so much happier and calmer and you you just, you know, more confident. And I mean, that's what happens when people come out a lot of the time. We start to really step into our own. Mm -hmm. And finally, we we also adopted a child. So in all Mm. of this, we adopted adopted a teenager and we now it was actually our non-binary kids best friend oh cool so she came to live with us at 15 and we adopted her at 17 Mm. and so now we have four children and it's very cool because we had all of this love to give somebody else too so that's what my family looks like that is a long-winded story of what my family looks like (laughs) and that is a beautiful story and i so so appreciate you one sharing that with us and being vulnerable about it because i think you know when folks think of trans families they don't always know what to think of and so they might think of like one trans parent or like maybe like two trans parents and then cis kids or I, i think that there isn't really a clear picture of what like the trans version of like the quote unquote nuclear family looks like. And I'm not saying that that's like what your family looks like, but I I do think that like we need, I mean, obviously more diverse understanding of what families look like generally, but like 
let's build a picture of what trans families can look like. And that's not just one person's journey necessarily. That's not even like, you know, coming into relationship and coming into family after transition. It could be multiple people coming into their own and transitioning together. And like the theme that was just coming out of your story was like a lot of sadness that then was broken open and and transformed into this great joy and deepened your relationships with each other. Absolutely. I, I look at where we were before and even our kids and including our cis kids, they will all say the same thing. We are all better people now. We mm. are all more communicative, uh, more honest, um, more joyful. Mm. You know, we, we just have this flow in our family that is so much better than when everybody was trying to play a role. Mm. Trying to play a role is, um, you know, I think society teaches us that very, very early. Oh, yeah. It's why I grew up and thought to myself, okay, I'm a girl. And that means I need to find a boy and I need to fall in love and we need to get married and we need to buy a house and we need to have children. You know, it was just Nobody specifically ever said that to me, but that is what society taught me. That is what the people around me taught me because that was the only example I really had. And that was what media taught me. And that is what school taught me. Um, and that is what everything taught me. So I just assumed I had to do this mm -hmm. and I don't regret marrying the love of my life. I don't regret having children. I love my kids, but I think about all the times when Zoe and I were both just trying to play these roles in these ill-fitting suits. Yeah. They, they, they weren't us. And now that we don't have to be those things to ourselves and to each other and to the people around us, we are just thriving in a way we never did before. Yeah. And I also think it really speaks to like a specific kind of like resilience and perseverance within like trans identity. And also just like you and your family as people, like it doesn't have anything to do with transness necessarily, but like you didn't give up on each other. And I think especially with your middle child who came out and started this, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if you would call it like a catalyst within your family, but <laughs> a little bit maybe. And I love just like you didn't give up on them. And that's so huge, even when maybe like you were at your wits end and didn't know what to do. And I love that they trusted you and sent you that letter. And I'm sure that that was an incredibly different moment for everyone. But it sounds like it just really broke things open for you all. The thing about parenting and the advice that I give when people ask me, because I think this is the most important part of parenting, it's not our job to raise our children with the expectations of who we think they are. Mm -hmm. It's our job to love and accept them and help them be the best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. That That is really the key. We do not get to decide who our kids are. And sometimes when we give birth to a child and we have these ideas of who that child's going to be, I would say fairly rarely that child turns out to be pretty much exactly what you thought. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, 
they are not exactly who you thought they were going to be, you know, and that doesn't mean that it's disappointing or bad either. It's just that if you hold tight to those expectations and that's the only way you think that you can love your child, if anything within that changes, it creates a huge problem. And so I've always approached it, I think, because I had a really challenging childhood, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of fitting in and trying to meet those expectations and getting really badly bullied, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, experiencing homelessness when I was 16 and living Mm -hmm. on the street. And I think I learned that I was still a good person, even if I didn't meet exactly the expectations of those around me. So I took that with me into parenting. Beautiful. And that's an incredibly important lesson. I think we're going to put a pin in a little bit of that because I think we're going to come back to it in a, in a bit. Um, and because it's a really, really important point that you're making right now. Um, but before we kind of get back to that, I wanted to ask about your cis kids and how you approached all of this with them because they're a part of your family too, even though they're cis within a trans space with all of you. And I want to kind of know what the conversations were like and what questions they were having and what their experience was like. And also how being in a family with multiple trans people, how that's influenced their experience of their gender as well. Great questions. Um, We were very fortunate to have like really amazing, thoughtful kids. Um, they just, they just are, they're very emotionally intelligent, if you will. You know, like we have always tried to leave room for emotion and, and put that at the forefront of things. So we, we don't try to hide feelings around here. Even when none of us were out, we were still not trying to hide feelings. Mm-hmm. I I've always been really big on talking things out. So when our middle kid came out, you know, they, and I sat their brothers down Mm-hmm. who were seven and 16, I believe at the time. And the eldest, Eric, he was like, okay, that's cool. I love you anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no big deal. Didn't really have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And then the youngest Jackson, he's just kind of sitting there and he's got this face <laughs> on him and he's like, okay, let me get this straight. So everybody thinks you're a boy but actually you're a girl because that is again, what they came out as initially. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, that's right. And it was like, oh, that's cool. I always wanted a sister anyway. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> I mean, that was it. And then like the next day he gets in a fight with them and he comes down and he starts using all the right pronouns and everything. And Ugh. it was just like, like flawless, flawless. Um, and they just got it. Like it was, it was just not even an issue. And Jackson went to the same school as them. Mm-hmm. He, he was like three grades uh, below, but was always watching out for them because he's just this like firecracker. He's 15 now. Right. But he, he's very quick witted and he will defend the people that he loves. So there was, you, you would not mess with that kid when Jackson was around. It was really cute. Um, and then when Zoe came out, that was a little harder. Mm. Um, we center a lot of our identities around who our parents are. Mm, yeah. It's, it's a little different than when you have siblings. I mean, yes, I do think that there is room for that sometimes. Maybe if, you know, you've always had a brother and you find out your brother isn't your brother that can, you know, that might, that might throw you for a loop. Um, I don't have that personal experience, but you know, our parents and and who they are and how they identify in our society means that we've placed some value on that, that can be hard to sort of pin down. But 
the boys had a difficult time at first because they thought they had a dad mm-hmm. and then they realized they didn't have a dad. Now, when I say they had a hard time, I really mean not for very long at all. Like sure, they, yeah. they just, they just, you know, but they had, they had feelings about it. Yeah. They had sadness. Um, they were trying to figure out who they were because they always thought that, you know, they were boys and they had a dad and they were learning about how to be a man from their dad. Mm-hmm. And Zoe had this really wonderful conversation with them where she said, you know, all of those things that you have learned, you still learned from me. It doesn't really matter what my gender is. And they were like, yeah, you're right. Actually, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that was, that was a little tough for a few days and otherwise no. Um, And then our middle kid, whose name is Arden, they started to cry after Zoe came out, um, but not in the same way as their brothers. Mm -hmm. And um, they said, I'm sorry, I'm crying right now. I'm just, I'm crying because I'm just so happy for you because Mm -hmm. I get it. I understand what this means for you. And it was this really special moment between them. Um, and then when Arden started identifying as non-binary, that just wasn't a big deal. Like, it just, it just wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone's like, all right, that's cool. And, you know, mess up the pronouns a few times and now everybody gets it. No problem all the time. Um, and then I came out and again, this just not a big deal. I, there was a progression with me where my expression started to change and some of my mannerisms started to change. And I didn't even notice half of this stuff was happening. Um, I'm sort of in that like cliche queer zone where like, you know, everyone came out during the pandemic. That was me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got top surgery during the pandemic. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's a thing that like, it's like you had a lot of time to figure yourself out. Right. And, uh, the unmasking that's happening too and like i mean the neurodivergence of it all is part of that as well of like actually like this is a facade that i put on myself without even understanding that i was doing that and like now because i'm alone or like not in the same relationship with the world as usual i guess and like don't have to perform gender and 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 meet people's expectations like i can start to peel that off without even knowing and then you're in an environment where transness is normalized and it makes total sense i think yeah i I actually came out because i i had a it was weird i had a dream i mean i have all kinds of weird dreams i mean that's normal i I dream i dream really big Mm -hmm. um and my dreams can feel very real but i had this dream where i had come out to zoe as non-binary and it felt so amazing i felt so good and like in this dream life i was walking around on cloud nine i was like oh thank goodness i get to be myself now i feel so free i feel amazing and then i woke up and i was like oh wow that was a weird dream ha 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 can't wait to tell zoe about it except i didn't Mm. (laughs) i didn't tell her i did not tell her and i was like I couldn't quite figure out why Mm. I didn't want to tell her because I tell her everything. So that was really weird. And I sat with it a little bit longer and then I started playing around with pronouns a little bit. And I realized that they, them definitely were the pronouns for me. Like that Mm. was, that was, I liked they, them, but then I didn't want to say anything about that either. And I sat with it longer. So this is actually a really long um, thought process, you know, of like several months before I realized I just couldn't continue to live like this because I was living in the closet and I felt that that wasn't authentic because I mean, what do I do for a living? I literally help people come out of the closet and live as safely and happily as possible. I've been doing this since 2014. Mm -hmm. I, why was I not allowing myself 
that same joy and authenticity. And that's why I had to come out. I felt like not just for me, but for, you know, that these are my values and, you know, I need to, I need to walk the walk, even if it's for me. Yeah, totally. And like, I had sort of like an, a, a similar ish experience because I was making queer kid stuff at the time when I came out as non-binary and ended up writing a little like non-binary coming out arc for myself, like with Teddy on queer kid stuff, um, which was like, definitely did not like, I mean, it was more complicated in my kind of like day to day, like actual human lens life. Um, And it's been like a long process. And I came out as non-binary first and then figured out that like, oh, I'm also trans because like that is like a kind of a separate thing. I don't know how exactly to describe that. But um, (laughs) coming to like my non-binaryness was like easier than coming to also identifying as trans and like with the trans community. So yeah, there's lots of layers to coming out for sure. And I'm still figuring a lot of that stuff out. I'm coming up on sort of my one year anniversary of when I came out and, you know, I'm still thinking about what that means for me in terms of medical transition, in terms of officially changing any gender markers Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I've, I've just been sitting on it for a while to figure it out. Um, And, and it's, it's, uh, it's going to take me um, a little while longer. I think yeah. that's okay because I'm not in a rush. It, it's mm. a journey, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just sort of working through what I really need to do to feel good. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting there. And it's harder than you would think, right? Because like I got top surgery and like there's a lot of anxiety. I got that. I got it in January and it was the absolute best thing I've ever done for myself. And so I feel so, so good in my body. And like, I'm now exploring like, oh, I feel a lot more comfortable in my femininity now. And figuring out what that feels like is just, it's going to take time. And I'm also like, uh, is like tea a thing that I want? Is that something that would like bring me joy? And I have, I am not sure. I have no idea. It's about giving yourself space and time to figure out like, okay, like what do I want for my body? And I think like for so long, I was so disconnected from my body because it gave me so much dysphoria and it made me so sad. And I just like cut myself off emotionally from how I felt in my body. And since top surgery, it's really opened the floodgates on that, but I don't have any mechanism for processing it. Um, so it's it's been really joyful, but also really difficult. And I think what you're saying like really speaks to that. And like I've been out as non-binary for at least five years now, but like I'm still like not even that far into my journey. Cause I mean, I lost 30 years of not feeling comfortable in my body. And that's, that's huge. Is it ever, is it ever? And it's tied into so many other things, you know, like I, I'm a bigger person. So I've always sort of dealt with the fat phobia that society mm-hmm. throws at me. And there's like, there's the part of me that is really happy that I had children mm-hmm. and really happy that I was able to, you know, like I, I breastfed my children and I have no regrets about any of that, but also beneath all that was a lot of dysphoria too. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And so it's sort of, you know, there's, it's very nuanced and it's going to take me a, a good while to work through it all. Mm-hmm. And I really, really am okay with that. I'm just glad to finally be able to admit to myself who I am mm-hmm. and step into this life, which is a better life. And wherever that takes me is okay. And the other thing that I really want to say, especially there's any people, you know, who are, who are thinking about where they want to go to, who are listening to this. Some people arrive at 
not needing to medically transition at all. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't make you less of a non-binary person or less of a trans person or Mm -hmm. anything. Um, And I think that also needs to be said for people because sometimes we get this, you know, you get the whole idea of like trans trenders. Mm -hmm. I know what I feel like. I know how I feel. I know what I need to to feel good today, right now in this space. Mm -hmm. And nobody else gets to tell me what that is or tell me who I am because I choose to do something or not do something. So I just really wanted to put that out there too. Yeah. Thank you for articulating that. And I think that that is a wonderful place for us to take a quick break. And we will be right back with a listener question. Okay, my friends, we are back with Amanda Jete Knox, and we're going to answer a listener question. Are you ready, Amanda? I sure am. Fantastic. Let's do it. So this anonymous listener is saying... My child just came out to me as trans, and I am so happy for them, but I do find that I feel a bit of a grief, a bit of a mourning around their coming out. And I'm unsure what to do about those emotions because they are very real to me. So I want to know what I should do about that. (laughs) All right, Amanda, (laughs) let's get into it. What are your initial (laughs) thoughts? Oh, see, I I come at this from both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm both part of the community and also have a child who's trans. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had, I've had feelings on both sides of this. Uh, I like to approach this one really delicately Mm -hmm. because the last thing I want to do is invalidate a parent's feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that it is really important that parents have a space to give voice to how they are feeling because we don't work through to the point where we have full unconditional love and acceptance of our children. If we don't give ourselves room to feel our feelings. Mm. Um, I will say grief is a really strong word. It is a very strong word. And sometimes we we use it for a number of things, right? So um, I know some people say like, absolutely no, never use the word grief when it comes to trans people. I, I don't want to tell people what words to use, but I mm. will say one of my best friends lost her seven-year-old to cancer in 2020. Mm. And I have been watching her grieving. Yeah. And what I felt when my child came out was not that. What I felt was, uh, you know, a few different things. I mean, one, uh, we had dealt with infertility, secondary infertility before Mm -hmm. our kiddo was born. And when I found out, and I'm going to use air quotes here again, what we were having on the Mm -hmm. ultrasound, um, I suddenly had this rush of ideas about who this very, very wanted child was going to be that I was having a boy and we were giving this boy this particular name, which is very, very special to me. And then we ended up having another boy after that. So then I was quote unquote, a mom of boys. Mm. I attached a lot of my identity as a person and as a parent to the gender of my children, the gender I thought my children were. And when I found out that one of my children was not the gender that I thought they were, that rocked my own identity Mm. as a parent and in society and everything else. So I didn't have to grieve, I realized, as much as I had to let go, I had Mm. to let go of a lot of the expectations and ideas that I had as a parent. And I feel like 
talking about it in the sense of letting go to me personally is healthier mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and it is normal to let go of things. You know, it's like, if you have a really great job that you really love, and then one day you don't have that job anymore, that, that position changes or the company gets bought and things change or whatever happens, we need to let go of what we expected out of our careers. And it can be sort of the same kind of thing, but life is not what we plan it out to be. And the other thing is that, you know, your, your child is very much alive. Mm -hmm. And if you support them, they not only have the best chance of being alive, but they have a really good chance of being a lot happier and healthier and going on to live a really great life. This is a gift to them. If you can do this, right. It's really important not to put any of these feelings on your child really, really, really important that you show up for your child with full love and support. And if you are struggling and it is okay, if you're struggling, and I just want to say that again, it's really okay to have your feelings, get the support that you need for those feelings. So for some of us, it's going to therapy. I did a little bit of therapy for some of us. It's joining a support group of affirming parents. I did that as well. My, my wife and I did that both in person here in Ottawa with a wonderful group. Mm. Um, and also online, I joined a couple of parents groups that really put affirming your child first. Mm. So that has been really helpful. Um, and it helped me work through a lot of that. And I could be the best parent I could be to my child. Mm. Do you have any like practical tips for like what affirming your trans child looks like? For me, affirming my trans child means number one, asking what do you need from me? Mm. Right. So it's not about me leading. It's about my child leading. So, you know, um, if my child doesn't want to come out to anyone else yet, I don't say a word to anyone else. If my child wants to tell everyone, then I will work out a plan with them on how to best do that and protect them from maybe some negative reactions and what have you. Mm. I, I researched, I researched everything. I read every book I could get my hands on at the time. I asked every question I could. I got a hold of every trans person who works in this space in my city to say, where can we get support? What do I need to do? I don't want to mess this up. Mm. Tell me how I can do it. And yeah, I did mess up sometimes. Absolutely messed up sometimes um, because I'm human and it was a new experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But ultimately, I think we did a good job. I think my wife and I did a good job. And um, so, yeah, I think it really just is about leaving space for your child to, to lead and just acting as a support person and as their biggest cheerleader, because you know what? They really need that. They need you in their court. Yeah, that was a real, I loved how you teased that out. And I also think that that was a really compassionate answer, um, which I think is really necessary in these circumstances. Compassion for like trans kids, but like also for like parents of trans kids and how it's such a unique experience, right? For like each person and like their relationship with their child. And I think it can be such a turning point in like a parent's relationship with a child and handling it with purpose is is really important. Well, and I think too, you know, sometimes I I see discourse happening within our community that negates the parents' experience and what they go through. Mm. And I understand mm. because maybe you're only seeing it through one lens, but from the other side of it too, mm. I will say we lost family members, we lost friends, I lost friends that I had had for years who were a part of my life who walked away. I had terrible meetings with the school uh, and left crying. Um, You know, it was a really trying time. I felt like a a mama bear, if you were, you know, trying to protect my child from everything. 
and taking all the hits for them because they were so young. And that's my job. I was supposed to do that, but it's not easy. It is not easy. And I think we do have to have compassion for parents as well. Like, no, you know, I, I tried never to center my own experience in that because I always felt like my child's going through so much more than I am, Mm. but also I'm not going to pretend that it isn't hard for me because it was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's why I approach it compassionately because I do understand that your life changes too. If you're really lucky, you have everything set up. You're, you, maybe you live in sort of a very like open-minded circle of, you know, in, in a really inclusive area, your child comes out and it's no big deal. And there are stories like that for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. There are equally as many, if not more stories of people who have had to walk through fire with their child. And that does take a toll on you. So yes, we need to leave room for our feelings as parents. Yeah, absolutely. And it just makes me think of um, Kai Shapley right now, who is a trans kid and activist in Texas. I think she's 10 or 11 and they have to they have to leave Texas because of all the anti-trans legislation that's happening right now. And she is so vocal and her putting her neck out there as a child is um, endangering her and her family. And that those are very real situations, even though she has what sounds like an incredibly supportive um, parent parents. Um, it's it is hard um, to be trans, to be a trans kid. And also to be a parent of a trans kid right now. Absolutely. So leaving space for all of those experiences, for sure. Absolutely. I have um, supported a couple of families now in getting out of Texas Mm. uh, and relocating to states that are more inclusive and safe. Mm. Um, And the number of people coming to me every day asking me, to share their crowdfunders, to to amplify what they're going through. I, yeah. It is heartbreaking. It's really hard out there. And it's especially scary for families with trans kids being open to investigation, receiving threats, all sorts of things. It is, my heart goes out to everybody right now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <sighs> yeah. Deep breaths, lots of deep breaths to get through lots. this moment we're living through. Um, all right. We are about at time. Thank you so, so much for joining me in this conversation, Amanda. If folks want to find you on the internet, where should they look? I think number one place you would want to look if you <laughs> if you're brave enough is Twitter. Um, I'm at Maven of Mayhem, or you can search my name, Amanda Jete Knox. I do a lot of sort of any online stuff I do, I tend to do there first. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also on Facebook slash Maven of Mayhem on Instagram, Maven underscore of underscore mayhem because somebody took the other one. Uh. Uh, <laughs> I have a website, amandajetenox.com that has a lot of my old blogs and stuff on there. Um, and finally you can uh, read my book, uh, which uh, again takes place before our child came out as Mm non-binary and before I came out as non-binary, but I think is still an important story. If you want to understand the dynamics of a family in transition and that's called love lives here. Mm, Beautiful. And you have another book coming out too. I do. I have a book coming out in 2023. It's called one sunny afternoon. Uh, that will also be through Viking press, um, division of penguin random house. It is about complex trauma and my own personal journey working through that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me at a great time. That was my conversation with Amanda Jete Knox. Thank you so much, Amanda, for an 
awesome conversation. And thank you for listening and tuning in to Rainbow Parenting. You can always check us out at Queer Kid Stuff on Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out my stuff over at Linz Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm over on TikTok as Queer Mixter Rogers. Make sure you follow Amanda on all of the social medias and make sure you check out their books. Highly, highly recommend those reads. And this was our last episode of the first season of Rainbow Parenting. Thank you again so, so much for tuning in. If you like what we've been doing here, please leave us a review and rate the podcast. I would absolutely love to hear what you thought of our first season of episodes. And if you have any guest requests for the future, please send us an email to business at queerkidstuff.com and we'll take a look and add them to my very long list. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming along with us on this first season of Rainbow Parenting. Until next time, talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzio. <laughs>